0: The eternal question, Messi or Ronaldo? What now for Paul Pogba at Manchester United? And the zen of Jose Mourinho? None of these are up for discussion today. So, welcome along to episode two of Lockdown Football. This is when there's no football, but a lot of football commentators still want to talk about it. Hello from Will Downing. Probably in Ireland, you'll have heard me most on Virgin Media Sport this season on the Champions League and the Europa League. Also on AirSport, by the way, the past couple of weeks for all those Satanta Cup and League Cup final reruns. With us again today, Mark Rodden, who also is with Virgin Media Sport and, like me, works on the world feed of the Belgian Pro League, which goes out in over 100 countries. We have Stefan Jorny, who's one of the two lead commentators for ESPN Africa. And Dimitro Julai, who's been a very familiar voice on all football in Eastern Europe across the last 15 years and currently working for Satanta in Ukraine. So what have you been doing this week, gentlemen? Dimitro, what have you been up to?
1: Well, same routine, I guess. I've heard that it's very important, you know, to stick to the routine, even though you're locked at home. So, yeah, some studying, some watching stuff, uh, reading, and lots of other things. And, of course, spending time with kids as well and waiting for... Football to be back, even though apparently it's not going to be very soon.
0: Mark, what about yourself?
2: Yeah, lots of calls, lots of gardening. Uh, read an interesting book about um, Armagh, Gaelic footballer, Oshin McConville, which was sitting on my shelf for a very long time. Um, a player who won the All Ireland or played uh, much of his career, the height of his career, while he uh, had a big gambling problem, which is very interesting and probably. Quite common um, around sport as well. So uh, that was interesting.
0: That actually won Sports Book of the Year the one year I was on the panel for Sports Book of the Year on the judging panel. And we just got the, the manuscripts. So we got these books which didn't have any covers or anything like that. But it, it actually is a really fascinating read. As a sporting book, it is really, really interesting. Stefan, what about yourself?
3: Very simple. I'm trying to uh, reach another level about cooking. This was my target last week. And uh, as being a good listener, trying to do a bit of gardening as well, like Mark. But obviously, uh, checking the uh, football news and football world and uh, part of the job. And uh, yeah, that's been a
0: fruitful week. You can set up a gardening
2: podcast, Will. We can set up a gardening clubhouse if this
0: doesn't work out. Well, apparently most of our listenership so far is coming from Ukraine, which is fantastic, but it just shows the superstardom there of one of our contributors. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of bad news news around at the moment, but we're just concentrating on the football side of things. In terms of the Bundesliga, they have a plan to resume potentially over a two-month period in May and June. That would obviously be all behind closed doors. The Netherlands are looking at something very similar and they're looking to get all their clubs back in training again. Racing Genk are training in Belgium. You may remember last week they made the decision at board level to... Finalized league, finish it off. Club Bruges will be declared champions. Nobody would be relegated. Two teams coming up. Now that, due to be ratified on the 15th of April, has been pushed back to the 24th. UEFA have had their say in that as well. They've declared that they want all the leagues to be played out to a conclusion. Uh, there's a big situation developing with Scotland where they've been having a vote mark in order to finish off the league. But not all the votes, apparently, have been received, or at least that's what the SPFL are saying.
2: I love this story. This is uh, it's what Dundee are saying as well, um, because Dundee are the one club um, out of all the professional clubs in Scotland not to uh, deliver their verdict as yet, officially. Um, so the SPFL requested clubs to um, deliver a vote by Friday all the leagues below the top flight would finish obviously that has uh, major implications for some clubs then the SPFL, um, or the Scottish top flight itself, they would try and play that out, but um, this vote would stand as well. If it wasn't possible then um, the majority had agreed that it would finish as it is now so um hearts in that case would be effectively relegated by musical chairs because uh, they're bottom at the moment um celtic would win the title rangers um second the problem is that apparently under the rules all the clubs actually had 28 days to reply and dundee who are in the championship the uh, second tier are still in the running for um promotion uh, I've read as well that apparently they are actually insured in the case of a pandemic. I don't know how they manage that, but their argument is that the whole of Scottish football is um, going to lose, you know, millions in terms of revenue. Um, another problem is that again, money talks. TV deals talk. There is a new TV deal in Scotland next season, so uh, if the season extends. That has implications for Sky, who are taking over. That has implications for every club. That's uh, one of the reasons some clubs have voted in favour
0: of this proposal. So it's uh, a bit of a mess, really. The main broadcaster, certainly the channel that has sharing the rights with Sky, BT, their coverage has actually been quite heavily loaded. It's one of the more popular TV coverages around, full stop, and they have a situation where they're continuing their Scottish football coverage in lockdown, even though they're going to lose the rights in a few weeks' time. Whereas we've seen other broadcasters lose football rights and then immediately lose interest in their property, even before that deal comes to an end. Um, In terms of England, uh, the Football Association yesterday ratifying their move to cancel nullify and void all the lower leagues from below the National League North and South. That's the old conference North and South. But there have been something in the region of 30 or 40 clubs to date who have petitioned against it. Obviously, it has implications if they decide to do the same higher up. But where we are right now, Dimitro, we may not obviously see football for quite a while, but it, it does appear that there are some countries who want to finalize their leagues, who want to go on, play on until the end, and others who just want to shut up shop, and that'll be it.
1: Well, I can tell you, I was reading about Romanian League this week, and the president of the league is asking the government to let them get back to training so they can resume the league on the 27th of May. And he says if they don't do that, then out of uh, 34 professional clubs they currently have in the top two divisions... They might have only 16 left in the future. So again, we're talking here about the financial implications and the problems it creates for clubs all over Europe and all over the world, of course. And it's 14 teams in the top flight there and 20 in the second division. So out of 34, he says, 14 or 16 may survive if they do not start or restart the season on the 27th of May.
0: I mean, you and I, I think pretty much have the same opinion on this, that you, know, you should play out the leagues no matter when they resume, because we may not get a lot of football for the remainder of the year, might not get very much in 2021, 20, depending on past pandemics. Interesting thing about um, Dundee having pandemic insurance, which is not something you'd really reasonably have thought about in advance, but Wimbledon, the tennis tournament started taking out pandemic insurance about 14 years ago. So they're going to get a payout of 150 million euros, which is one small positive thing for them. Um, Stefan, what would you do in terms of the leagues if you, you know, were in charge of UEFA or FIFA and had a recommendation to make?
3: Just wait. And I guess you need to go along with the uh, governments and authorities about each country. But we know that the financial implications are huge. As I said, like, you know, like I said, like last week, uh, those countries and those uh, leagues need money to survive. And we know the Bundesliga has been struggling, French clubs has struggling, and some clubs in Belgium has been struggling. I know we'll touch base on that in, uh, in a few minutes, but I think it's to walk along with the authorities and make the right decision at the right time. But we, I mean, I'm quite convinced the league will come back at some stage. Some leagues decided recently to push back the season in July, in August, like in France, they even talk, they even been talking about starting next season by the 23rd of August in League One. Already talking about next season, but they still want to complete the last fixtures of the season. It's, it's, it's critical the season to finish. We know that TV uh, money is huge for all the clubs across Europe. We know the Bundesliga also wants to start very, very early. We, we, we touched base on that again last week, saying that. Uh, some of the clubs, maybe the league will start in May. I won't be surprised. Uh, so I think they're well in advance for most of the um, other leagues or countries. Um, so it's wait and see. But coming back to uh, Mark's point about the Scottish uh, the Scottish league, the New Deal is a lot of money for Scotland. One hundred twenty five million pounds with Sky, which is huge for the SPFL. But also about the, the club voting to, um, uh, to finish the season. I know Rangers not you know inclined about it but also and um budge the owner of hearts uh, uh, decided uh if it was the case the season will stop There will uh, there will be legal implication obviously doesn't want to see a you know a club going down and uh it's far from finish i presume from scotland
2: well i saw one uh columnist in the scottish press rather cheekily saying that um publicly rangers you know kicking up a fuss about the league finishing up but uh privately they'll be quite happy because um what is it 13 points behind celtic um they don't have to play out the league they're guaranteed second place they're guaranteed the prize money if the league is postponed under the uh, current proposal the other thing as well celtic won nine in a row rangers won nine in a row um celtic are trying to get one over them winning 10 in a row Rangers fans uh, would enjoy um, pointing out to Celtic that uh, if they win title this year, it would come with um, an asterisk beside it, suggesting that, uh, yeah, they won it, but they didn't really win it, did they? Because the season never finished.
3: I understand that, but obviously the implication of European football and uh, European money come from UEFA, and as we know, last week, Seferin was very clear, like, after the uh, Belgium decision to suspend or the proposal of suspending the league or cancelling league, even though it's not done yet, that um, no money and they w- no normally will come to those, to those leagues. And also they won't be, uh, they will be suspended to play uh, European football. And for Celtic financially, it's a huge loss. I-, I can't see that happening really, but we'll see. I mean, look, time will tell. I mean, we can't predict the future, as I said, but uh, it's going to be a, uh, a critical decision from the Scottish league and uh and for celtic they can't afford to be out of europe
2: yeah well that's interesting as well because um belgium was uh, something we talked about last week decision being pushed back to april 24th now on whether the league will be cancelled but uh i saw again in the belgian press apparently uefa consulted with one of the top um belgian virologists who said that you know listen they they can't play you know they there was 1600 new cases of coronavirus in belgium on friday so how can they plan ahead um, and he also suggested that look uh, the belgian authorities want to play the cup final but there's very little chance of that being played in front of supporters which would be uh, unfortunate um, because as he pointed out you know large gatherings football matches sporting events festivals they'll be the last to get back to normal, in his view.
0: I think about Belgium, it's also worth pointing out, their population is just over twice that of Ireland, and over the past four days, there have been an average of 30 deaths a day, 3-0 in Ireland. In Belgium, yesterday... 350 people died which is more than the 250 deaths which were announced in all of Germany yesterday which is a population of approximately 60 million so obviously there are much 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 bigger things to be worried about at the moment but it's a startling death rate in Belgium which suggests to me that normal life is going to take a long time there to return unfortunately.
2: Yeah well they won't restart until uh... there won't be any sports until after June 30th Um, they've made that pretty clear so it does complicate matters because whatever decision they come to the uh, Belgian season normally starts the last weekend of July so it doesn't give them much time to uh, play all the fixtures um, to give the players an adequate break as well so it is a problem and it's something that I think like uh, health authorities and governments uh, UEFA and all the federations are kind of feeling their way through at the moment because it is an unprecedented situation and it will take time to work out uh, a solution that suits everyone
3: i mean from uh bansima from mark yeah it is a very complicated situation voices coming out from different countries saying yeah we we understand the situation we understand how difficult the climate is at the minute but however uh, football or the sport industry is like any industries that they need to get back into it they need you know uh, financial support, financial backing from sponsorship. It's just about the survival of some of the clubs. And uh, what is the difference between someone who's going to work in a bank, still able to do his job on a regular basis? Um, I know some businesses have to shut down, catering and, and so on and so on. But I'm pretty sure things will have to be revised maybe in two months' time. And there's no reason the Belgium League cannot come back. That's you know my opinion. Uh, there will be, if the league is stopped and, and, and cancelled uh, there will be no playoff next season so they can stretch the league and start even at the later stage and there's no reason that that can be looked at maybe this discussion will take be taking place with UEFA and the uh, Belgium authorities and also the Pro League uh, to make the right decision
0: So in terms of the Netherlands the Eredivisie is aiming to come back in mid-June if Belgium comes back It may be the last time in the top flight for a few years. We see a couple of notable clubs because astonishingly out of 24 professional leagues in the top two divisions there, Mark, quite a few have seen their licenses turned down. I think it's seven in total, including Standard Liège and the threat is they would be dropped down to the fourth division. Yeah, it's
2: unbelievable. Yeah, a bit of a shock for Standard. Um, Their hope is that they'll win an appeal at the uh, Belgian Court of Arbitration for Sport. I think that's um, around May 10th. The verdict will be delivered. Um, two issues. One was um, signing on fees and bonuses that were not paid. Apparently that was sorted out before the licensing body made their decision but wasn't taken into account, so they're confident on that one. Another is over the uh, sale of the stadium and cash flow. Again, they're confident that they'll be okay. Two other top flight clubs, though, in big trouble, it seems. Mucron and Ostenda. Um, Mucron, apparently, because they've had... Issues with agent involvement um, that the authorities aren't too happy with. Also, again, guarantee of cash flow. They have a majority shareholder from Thailand. Will he invest a lot of money in the club at, at this time? That's up for a decision at the moment. And Ostenda, it's very interesting to see uh, one of their players, currently the assistant manager, brought in for the last couple of games to try and um, save them from relegation. Frank Berrier, who played, uh, I think, five years with the club. Lovely attacking midfielder. He's launched... An online appeal for funds to try and save the club, which uh, tells you how serious serious uh, the situation is. There,
3: there's one more issue with Stand Lille. I mean, um, it's about uh, as well the cash flow. And as of thirty first of December, two thousand nineteen, there's a deficit, and it's not being covered basically. And there was doubt they can bring that uh, liquidityness. Well, they need to co- cover that uh, the debt, and that that was an issue addressed by the court of arbitration and, and the commission as well as a serious issue to lose the standard if the case they can appeal by May the 10th which is you know they will do by Bruno Venanzi. and uh, I just want to remind you as well by selling the stadium Axel Witzel is one of the investors by buying the stadium as well which is ludicrous but anyway that's another story and uh, I'm surprised that Andelecht didn't pop up in that uh, commission they have uh, we're talking about the 90, 80 million uh, debts at the club. And uh, I'm very surprised. I can see obviously Mukron and Austin for very reason, for financial reason, Osten. Ex-Mark Cook's club. And Mark Cook is in charge now and owned Anderlecht. And I'm very, very surprised. 80 million, the biggest debt here at the club in the Belgium league so far. And, uh, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't forget also about the second division clubs. You have Le Rulers, Lommel Lomel and Virton who has been denied the license. If you can imagine that not finishing season, financial problem for some of the clubs, not getting the license, I doubt, you know, saint won't get a license. That's, this is the most, it's, well, it, to me, like, this is a historical historical club uh, in Belgium. One of the most historical clubs in Belgium. And um, can't see uh, St-Aliège not being the Premier League or Premier Division in Belgium next season. But who knows?
2: Okay they'd be relegated to the fourth and, and start with a three-point uh, deduction as well, just for good measure. But the problem is as well in Belgium, if a lot of those clubs that uh, didn't get their licence are in trouble, you know, will there be a second division, a professional second division in Belgium? That's um, looking unlikely at the moment.
0: Um, in terms of the League of Ireland, by the way, with the extended lockdown announced by uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar until the 5th of May, all football in Ireland is cancelled until then and the league of Ireland looking likely at the moment they're targeting a resumption in June but obviously there's going to be problems with players contracts there as well because normally they're just up until the end of the season in the end of October and early November we have to uh extend best wishes as well to Kenny Douglas Norman Hunter both in hospital both been uh, diagnosed with COVID-19 Jimmy Greaves has been hospitalized as well for the past week he's been in a bit of ill health uh, the past couple of months brilliant documentary about him on BT which is being repeated pretty much every week and worth remembering in this era I guess where You know, people talk about the leading all-time Premier League scorer and so on, and there's so many statistics which are post-1992 only, but Jimmy Greaves remains the greatest top division scorer in English football history. 357 goals, Chelsea, Tottenham and West Ham. Arthur Rowley, the top league scorer of all time, retired in 65 with 434. And obviously, we wish them all... The best, and the thing about Jimmy Greaves, when I was growing up, he was obviously on TV as part of Saint and Greavesy. He was very prominent in ITV's coverage when they had the exclusive league rights in the early eighties, early nineties. Um, I suppose through modesty, more than anything else, there wasn't a huge amount of footage of Greavesy shown when he was on TV from his playing days. But I mean that documentary, the just some of the goals he scored, absolutely tremendous. Probably the greatest English scorer, certainly at the highest level of all time.
3: Uh, Jimmy Greaves. all I can say, a, a legend, I guess, for Spurs, but also uh, one of very rare English players to play abroad. I don't think people remember that, but uh, he played for Milan, which is huge at the time, 1961. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. And uh, we know sometimes uh, UK players or English players struggle to play abroad and, uh, and, uh, and do well. In the, uh, in the continental leagues but uh, he did it he scored a few goals for Milan so and at the great career like you know Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, West Ham
0: done pretty well and this was back in an era as well when players didn't really have a say about where they went so in the documentary
3: I think we're talking sorry for interrupting but I think we're talking about a fee at the time of 18 or 70 or 60,000 pounds which is huge like
0: yeah, he went back to England, he was the first 100,000 player, or I think it was 99,999 because Spurs didn't want to put the pressure on him of being the first 100,000 pound player and the thing is, he actually went to Italy at a very, very young age he was around 20 or 21, having had a few good seasons with Chelsea
3: Very unusual, very unusual at the time Well, of course
1: uh, we. Ha- it's very good that you pointed out uh, that football actually started in England in 1888 and They have played a bit before 1992 and it's one of the greatest strikers. I think the only thing that he lacked is the World Cup in 1966 when he wasn't in the team. But of course, those who did play, they did it pretty well. But it's definitely one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of football. And it's also a very important point uh, to touch on uh, history and how sometimes people judge Former players and former greats, and they say, "Ah, oh, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, they wouldn't survive today." Uh, uh, I think, uh, I think actually, that's not true. But Stefan is from a professional player, maybe he uh, will say something else about it. But I think with these balls, with these boots, and these pitches, Jimmy Greaves would be scoring just as many goals as he was scoring back in the
3: day, and maybe even more than certain strikers of of, of these. And they, were, and they were not playing as many games as, you know, we do now. And that's a big difference as well. No, different, uh,
1: different training methods, Stefan. Then the science uh, has grown enormously in football. Uh, it used to be like a sponge or something like that, when the, the, the physio would run onto the pitch and imply that magical sponge, and that was it. And you could get a, an injury, a career-threatening, a career-ending injury at the age of
3: 20-something. And also the fitness. I mean, the physical preparation, you know, it's, it's, it's well, very different what it was in the, 19, in the 60s or the 70s. And, you know, the players' attitude towards, you know, diet and so on and so on from countries to the other one. I mean, from, from the others, I mean, yeah, it's pretty exceptional what he has achieved so far.
0: The death has been announced Sunday of Peter Benetti, the former Chelsea and England goalkeeper who's died at the age of 78. He was in the England squad that won the 1966 World Cup but didn't play. That was back in the days of only the 11 men on the pitch being rewarded. Benetti and the rest of the non-playing squad members, including Jimmy Greaves, eventually received World Cup medals in 2009 following a lengthy campaign by England's Football Association. His final game for England in the 1970 World Cup quarterfinal against West Germany, Gordon Banks had picked up food poisoning. England led 2-0 in that, but with Gerd Muller on form, Germany won 3-2. Domestically, Benetti won the 1970 FA Cup with Chelsea, for whom he played almost his entire career, as well as the following years, European Cup Winners' Cup, ask your parents, and the League Cup. And in France, Stefan, sad news with the death of the Rams club doctor, Bernard Gonzalez.
3: He was really part of the club. He's been in the club for, I think, 20 years, and uh, more than 20 years. And, uh... He knew that club upside down. It was a big shock in France and for and for Stade Hans, such a valuable you know member that that club you know going that way. I mean, he committed suicide, and knowing that he was diagnosed with uh, the virus, his wife was diagnosed with the virus, and uh, a shock for every player of the club. So really, really, you know, sad, sad news, you know, from from us.
0: And there have been some really. Peculiar happenings in Barcelona, Stefan. Seven, uh, six directors have resigned, and it's to do with the current president, who's not due to be the current president for much longer.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's a, uh, it's uh, it's a serious issue. Obviously, uh, in Barcelona, we're talking about a crisis. There's no other question about it. Six members resigned from the board: Emili and Enrique Tomás. As you know, directors Silvio Elias, Jose Jose Pont, Jordi Calsamiglia, and Maria Texidor, they all walked out after the uh, Barca Gate has been called recently. Uh, it appears the situation is uh, it's it, it's not very clear at the minute. But uh, Bartoméu, the current president, has hired a company it's called Ice Reventures, uh which create apparently accounts on social networks to discredit the image of some of the players from Barcelona, like Lionel Messi, uh, Piquet. The allegation has been uh, denied by Josep Maria Bartomeu, the president, um, which is under serious pressure. He also terminated the contract with a company in February, last February, to prevent, obviously, the crisis. And uh, now just completely blew off a proportion, and uh, he's under serious pressure, Bartomeu. We're already talking about um, Fonte will resign to be the next president of Barcelona. There will be elections taking place, as we know, in Spain for taking that kind of you know, position. We're already talking about Carlos Puglia coming back. And obviously, a very famous player, a legend from Barcelona. Xavi could be the next coach. And also, Jordi Cruyff, the son of uh, Johan Cruyff, to uh, join that new team. If... Fonte is elected as a new president in the next election. So it's interesting time in Barcelona. Crisis has been there, you know, for, for a while in terms of recruitment. Mistake has been made and the socials are not really happy. And, and clearly, like six board members leaving, it's not really good news for Barça, and especially for Bartomeu.
1: This latest scandal isn't probably the worst thing that Bartomeu could have happened to him because he's been criticized very heavily over the last, well, few years, let's be honest. And among those criticizing voices, the, um, you, you, you can always hear people who blame him for sort of dismantling the legacy of Pep Guardiola. They say that he chose a coach, even though Ernesto Valverde is a very good coach, you know, he chose a coach who played differently. He wasn't like Barcelona style. And it's, it's very important in that club. We can talk about titles and all that stuff. But in Barcelona, after Johan Cruyff and his period as a manager, after his dream team, and then, of course, after the fantastic team managed by Pep Guardiola, people expect a certain style of play as well. And even though they were winning titles under Ernesto Oliveris, sometimes they were criticizing even him. And also you had those defeats by Roma and Liverpool, in the European Cup as well. Uh, so I, I honestly don't see Bartomeu winning elections and uh, remaining as a president, no matter what. And this latest scandal just adds more pressure, like Stefan said.
3: It's, it's quite, you know, unbel- it's credible that, that the, 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 the uh, president of a club will hire a company to um, just discredit the players on social networks. It's it's amazing. I mean, that's an allegation from uh, from the um, the board member, but uh, it's it's ludicrous. And uh, but Messi has not been very supportive as well, you know, for, to Bartomeu. We, we we know that being closed though, That's that's not a secret. And uh, and Messi uh, has a huge chance in Barcelona.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bartomeu is outgoing, so he can't be re-elected anyway. But. I suppose the allegation is is that he's still trying to have a hand in who his successor will be, but Barcelona have won eight of the last eleven league titles they're currently top in Spain, no matter what happens. They will probably say that no matter what's been happening in the background, you know they are still. Kings of La Liga, at least, even if Real Madrid had their very good run in the Champions League a few seasons ago. I guess the main takeout people had from the most recent Clasico, which finished nil-nil, is that the two teams at the top, Barcelona and Real Madrid, just don't look as good as they have done the last 10 years or so.
1: Yeah, you can say that uh, the league as a whole probably is more average than it used to be a few seasons ago. Uh, you can uh, not only mention here Real Madrid and Barcelona, you can also talk about Atletico Madrid, because what happened at Anfield, well, it just won off. It is a miracle, because I don't know what you think, but sometimes it seemed that Liverpool actually played better uh, than when they beat Barcelona 4-0, and they still managed to get knocked out. So Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, well, struggling more or less, and you have... Of course, the example of Getafe, that small club, who is making waves in Spain and in Europe, but the general level, I'd say, you know, the average level is not as good as it was like five, no, well, four, five seasons ago. So they do need, especially in Barcelona, some injection of uh, new blood and. Fruit. But I'm just not when Stefan mentioned that Xavi could be the manager. I, I'm just not sure that he's ready for that already. And I actually, I always th- thought that Kiki Setien was a perfect manager for Barca. But he got there mid-season. He didn't have any say on the preparation of the team before the season and all that. So I think it's, uh, again, very complicated for him. Though he is uh, the manager that Barca actually needs if we're talking about style of play.
0: I mean, Pep Guardiola came straight in, if you like, just after retirement, was in charge for four years, succeeded Frank Rijkaard, who'd had a few good successes, won the Liga twice in the Champions League. What was so different about um, Pep Guardiola to uh, a lot of the other bosses that have come around that time? Van Hal was there for a bit, Martino, Enrique?
3: Well, I think, you know, maybe Mitro can correct me, but at the time, if you remember when Guardiola was appointed um, as a manager of Barcelona... He was not the first choice on the list to take the job. And that's, you know, people need to understand that. Maybe I'm wrong, but again, Barcelona at the time was been in a crisis. They decided to go with uh, Guardiola, who was going from La Masilla. There was a young players coming through as well, talented players. He knew some of the players and decided to uh, to take, you know, a different turn with Guardiola.
1: Well, it's very interesting what happened back then in 2008, yes, because... Uh, Guardiola always reminds people that uh, they shouldn't forget about his season with Barcelona B side. And they did pretty well. They were champions in, in their division. Uh, so he's talking about that title. So it's very important in his career uh, because, uh, well, people can say, ah, you know, he came uh, to the first team in Barça and he had all those plays. But the thing is, even though he admits that, when he had Messi, he had Xavi, he had Iniesta in the prime. He's the manager who has the Barcelona DNA. And he was probably one of the most loyal disciples of Cruyff. And when he played for Cruyff, he was one of the best players also on their dream team. So he knew what to do in terms of style of football. He knew perfectly what he wanted to implement. And it worked. It worked brilliantly. But also, you have to, of course, give him credit for the way he did it. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. Four years. You 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 think back to this, and they they won. Uh, Champions League twice. Uh, they they were winning titles in, in Spain as well. But also, they were playing some fantastic football. Even now, in Spain, you can hear a lot of people say they was the best team they've ever seen in their lives. And these are people who know who can probably even remember Real Madrid back in the 60s and Real Madrid of Quinta de Vuitre and Dream Team of Cruyff and other great sides in the history of Spanish football. So it was a fantastic achievement. And the way he walked out is also very interesting because he was sort of empty after all those four years because he was given so much to the club and he needed that break and then he went to Bayern Munich. And again, you could see, okay, this is Pep Guardiola team, you know, when they were playing in in Bundesliga and the Champions League. And the same happened at Mont City as well. So, of course, I think a lot of fans uh, in Barcelona waiting for him to return even though he says that he would like to return to la masia and form players there and work with younger players
2: not taken away from pep Guardiola, i think you're right that's a big difference that uh he did know the club inside out he did come up through the ranks but uh he also had an unbelievable squad which is not really the case on paper at barcelona now if you look at the the team over the last few years they've kind of just hoped that uh, the same players would carry them through and now the likes of uh, Piquet, Raketic, Busquets, Suarez, Messi, Arturo Vidal, they're all, you know, getting on. There's a big rebuilding job to be done at Barcelona, whoever takes over, I think.
3: Again, Guardiola knew exactly uh, wanted to cover the job that he had a great, my promising young players coming through. And for him, it was easy to implement his philosophy because he had other players, you know, for so many years in La Masilla. and uh, but still had to deliver in La Liga and in Europe, which he did, and uh, was pretty amazing. And it's going to be very difficult to find a team dominating Europe and and in Spain in such a way, prompting attacking football and uh, Tiki Caca, like you know, you name it. And uh, but uh, yeah, I think it was uh, it was uh, incredible what he achieved, you know, with Barcelona.
0: A former Barcelona boss, also former uh, coach at Real Madrid at Atletico Madrid, where he did the double in 96, but I suppose the fans of English football, man who will always be remembered for scoring the goal that kept Luton Town up and sent Manchester City down on the final day of the season in 1983, prompting that big celebration from his Luton manager, David Pleat, raced across the pitch in his brown suit, Radiantic uh, sadly passed away during the week, and a man who had uh, a big influence in football in England, and especially as a manager as a coach in spain
1: well yeah he is actually the only one who managed three big clubs in spain and i don't think anyone will ever repeat that and it's interesting when you mention his goal for Town. he did play in england and so we know he was from yugoslavia and in yugoslavia it was a bit different from so many socialist countries at the time because they did allow players to go abroad when they reached the age of 28. So Stefan might remember uh, Safet Susic and uh, uh, yeah, Begic, right. I think, also. They played in France. So quite a few good Yugoslavian players went to France, but Radiantic went to England. And uh, I think it, there was also a goalkeeper, Ivan Katalinic, uh, who, who played in England uh, uh, for a period of time. But it's, it's fantastic you know how this Yugoslav in football, you know, goes abroad and plays there. Then he starts his managerial career and he has this success in Spain because he won the table with Atletico Madrid and he worked with Jesus Gil, one of the most craziest presidents ever in the history of football. And he did manage to win the double, even though, yeah, a few years later, Atletico went down to second division but that was a fantastic achievement and again you go to Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico and I think uh, people have good memories about you in each of those three clubs which is absolutely
3: tremendous. And we shouldn't forget as well that uh, Antic was also the uh, national coach of Serbia and qualified for the World Cup in 2010 even though they finished last in Group D, it was a difficult group with Germany, Ghana, Australia just One winner to defeat, but uh, he has to remember the first well, Serbian coach to qualify Serbia for the World Cup. But having said that, he was always inspired by the national team from Spain in terms of style. And uh, he was, in a way, an attacking you know manager. But you have to be in mind, he also gave a chance to some young players like Xavi or Victor Valles in Barcelona, preempting, if you want, like the the, the future generation of uh, of well, those kind of players. We know from uh, from Guardiola's reign and as a manager in uh, in that uh, in that club, but uh, and and Mitro uh, mentioned about his time in uh, Atletico. It's pretty amazing. Atletico was not such a powerhouse, powerhouse, you know, as, as we know now, and uh, it made you know miracles at the time. And uh, so, yeah, great manager, great man, and. Uh, And it's very unusual at the time as well to see a coach from ex-Yugoslavia going to to Spain and doing so well and taking uh, jobs at some of the biggest clubs in the world. Very, very unusual.
0: So we have a situation right now where we could have uh, a whole series of leagues around Europe cancel, which would be, I mean, the first time pretty much since World War II, that that had happened. Although the Bundesliga continued throughout World War II and Rapid Vienna, who just happened to be in Germany at the time, won a couple of titles. Their name is still on the Bundesliga shield.
3: Well, I give you, an, Will, I give you a, a name to pronounce, Daniel Sinani. Do you know him?
1: Yeah, the new signing of Norwich City.
3: Exactly. And due the
1: launch of Luxembourg. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Is, where is he going to? Norwich. Exactly. First signing and people are talking, you know, there won't be any transfer, you know, this um, this year. You go, that's the first one of the season, or the coming season.
0: By the way, we've been talking for the last 40 minutes about commentary. So what we'll do is we'll clip that out and we'll put that as another podcast because it was supposed to be a 10-minute piece. and We've ended up talking for nearly an hour about it. And... I don't know, maybe somebody might find it interesting, apart from us. Um, Robbie Keane uh, finds himself in a bit of limbo. There's maybe a bit of talk on the grapevine this weekend that he's not going to be involved at all in any capacity with with the FAI. Um, he's found himself in a position where he was obviously... One of uh, Mick McCarthy's assistants, Stephen Kenny, has taken over in the past week and has named his own management team of Damien Duff, Keith Andrews and Alan Kelly. And Robbie Keane, magnificent player, tremendous everywhere he played, record Ireland caps, record Ireland goals. His contribution, like Steve Staunton as a player, will definitely never be forgotten. Um, in terms of coaching, is it fair to say it hasn't quite gone according to plan for him with Ireland?
3: No, not really. I know he's uh, the assistant of Jonathan Wiggate at uh, Borough, but um, again, you know, we talk about young coach just started uh, like Damien Duff, basically. And uh, the wrong wrong time for uh, Robbie Keane, obviously, with the uh, announcement of Stephen Skenny taking uh, charge of the um, national team. And you can understand why. Stephen Kenny wants to take his own staff and uh, to get the backup or the backing of Devin Duff and Keith Andrews and starting fresh with uh, with uh, new people on board. Obviously, we, we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I believe Robbie Keane has a two year contract or I still have two years left with the FAI with uh, a 250k salary a year, I think. Are they going to find a way out for Robbie Keane? Will he sit as well on, you know, half a million? Over two years, I mean, there'll be negotiation taking place uh, between his agents and the FAI, but also I think they had a, I think a phone call took place this week between Roby and Stephen Kenny and uh, I'm pretty sure Stephen Kenny uh, wants make space to Roby to uh, to be included in his staff and, uh, which is, I can understand that. And uh, as I said, Roby knows football better than anyone else. He's been in the, in the business for so many years that It's time to move on as well and start fresh uh, with Stephen Kenny and Damien Duff and uh, Keith Andrews and Robbie Keane will have to move on as well.
0: I mean, I think the unfortunate thing is you wouldn't blame Stephen Kenny for bringing his own team in, people who he's worked with successfully at under-21 level. I suppose you also wouldn't blame Robbie Keane for being a bit upset at what's happened to him because he's sort of found himself isolated. Everybody else who he's worked with has been moved aside but he was under a different contract
3: it's very unfortunate and uh it's a bit of a catch on it too i mean steven you cannot blame steven kate to make the right decision for himself and uh, what he wants to go and what, you know and the people he wants to work with and robbie can i'm sure will really understand that even though pretty hard you know to swallow the pill and uh but he's working at club level in Middlesbrough. he can focus on his coaching job, and maybe, you know, if successful with Borrow, with Jonathan Wiggett, move on to a, a, a different, you know, club, and maybe work as a manager in a few years' time. It's time to move on, and I guess the FAI is trying to do a clean slate and starting fresh with Stephen Kelly. But it's not good, you know, for the image of the FAI. Again, you know, it's those messages, the way it's been communicating, and, and people have different views, like Stephen Hunt and James McLean, that, you know, disputing, you know, the current climate and the decision being made at the FAI, having opinions. Opinions is, there's nothing wrong to have an opinion about something, but at the end of the day, it's for the benefit of the FAI to make sure that the right coaching staff is in place, is given time to, to succeed, and, uh, and Stephen Kenny has to make the right decision along with the CEO of the FAI to be, uh, to be successful.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing about Stephen Hunt, Gary Breen as well, they've both played most of their careers and pretty much all their career in England. And from what I can see, the two only former Ireland internationals who've just said, well, it's great that Stephen Kenny's in charge, but similar to what you were saying last week, Stefan, it is a major step up compared to what he's done previously. James McLean has come out quite strongly against that and you know, sort of said, well, what have they done in their careers? And obviously Gary Breen played in a World Cup and Stephen Hunt was in a Reading side that finished seventh in the league and qualified for Europe and tons of caps between the two so I think they've had pretty decent careers your take on the overall situation Mark?
2: I think it's um, unfortunate as uh, Stefan has said in terms of Robbie Keane having to move on but football's a business and uh, it can be a bit cruel at times no one will uh, dispute the fact that Stephen Kenny has the right to pick his own staff and it's not his fault that Robbie Keane had a, a, a longer contract I do think that it's it could, it could have been handled better because um it seems like Keane wasn't really consulted at all but um from Stephen Kenny's point of view he's worked with uh, Keith Andrews for the under 21s um so they've developed a relationship he wants to bring in Damien Duff uh, you know probably as a clean slate so that's unfortunate but i think uh, Robbie Keane will accept it eventually and whatever payoff he's uh, likely to get will help Him accept that decision. I can understand players who are concerned about Stephen Kenny's lack of experience, but uh, some of those players would have worked under Brian Kerr as well. You could level the same charges at him. While he didn't um, get us to a tournament, he certainly turned things around after Mick McCarthy left the first time and got some really good results, drew away at the Stade de France, well in the running for qualification. World Cup 2006 so there's no reason that uh, Stephen Kenny can't do that as well
3: you you have to uh, appreciate as well the uh, different opinions for people it doesn't mean like uh, Jess McLean coming back and Gary Breen and Stephen Hurt you have to respect you know they have views on the FAI and, uh, and, the, uh, and the current you know appointment but uh, again let's be frank about it like if Stephen Kenny wins you know all these games for the next you know uh, 12 months and qualify Ireland for 2020 it will be all forgotten by everyone. Results will dictate, you know, his future as the main coach of the uh, Irish team. It's simple as that. And if he has to uh, make places for his own staff, he has to do thing as well for himself and to make sure the environment is right for him to succeed. It's all about, you know, succeeding and winning games at that level. International football requires, like, success and winning games to qualify for major competition. We're going back to the same, same, you know, the same problem. He needs to get time. Will he get enough time? Especially if results, you know, doesn't, you know, don't go his way? and that's uh, that's, you know, the ma- major question.
1: Well, I agree with Stefan here. I think that yeah, it's of course unfortunate that nobody thought about this situation because last week we were talking that FAI probably made a swift decision and right on time. But there is this uh, little thing that probably they didn't take care of. But apparently, yeah, that's what Stefan is saying. If uh, the team is successful, people will just accept uh, everyone who is a part of that team. And uh, honestly, I don't think there is too much to talk about here. Because uh, Robbie Keane is a great player, fantastic player, one of the best players in the history of Far football. But as a coach, he's just starting his career. So maybe he will even have a chance in the future, if he's successful, to be the main guy for the national team and manage it. We, we never know. Right now, it's just an unfortunate situation. But, uh, well, really, it's uh,
3: necessary to move on. But that creates an tension, as you mentioned, Mito, because he's a legend you know, in Irish football. He, he, he gave so much to, uh, to the country and, and loves playing for Holland. But it's a different job, it's a different role now. And uh, as we said again, it's time for change. Because I I can
1: give an example from Ukrainian football, where the national team is uh, now managed by one of the legendary players. And it was very difficult for him from the start because he was brought into the national team setup just before... Euro 2016, and people knew that he would be the manager, but they they also criticized the federation, and they were saying that they were undermining the authority of the manager at the time. And the team failed at the Euro 2016; they lost all three games. And I think you remember how they lost to the Northern Ireland and all that, because there wasn't a single authority in the camp. So that's what happened. You know, they brought a legendary player into the national team, and it sort of destroyed uh, the atmosphere I- I- in the team. And the team that was much better and it actually uh, played in France uh, didn't succeed. And then yeah, then he took over, and now yeah, we can say that they had a great qualifying campaign. But back then, a lot of people were looking at it as, as a mistake. When Shevchenko was brought as one of the assistants. It's a different, of course, situation to Robbie Keane. But what I'm saying is that legendary players... Are legendary players and they have to prove themselves as managers as well, or coaches.
0: So that's it for episode two of Lockdown Football. There will be an episode three because we did a lot of talking today about different commentators we've liked down through the years, and that took up pretty much most of the program. So that's going to be a program in its own right uh, later on in the week. So watch out for that. So there will be an episode three. Whether there's an episode four can't be guaranteed. Who knows? Probably we'll be bored enough for it. If you've enjoyed listening to it, then please rate us, like it, leave a comment in the usual providers and until next time from will downing mark rodden stefan johnny and Dimitris july goodbye